Amen. Brethren, beloved of the Lord, I invite you today to turn your copy of God's Word, the Holy Scriptures, to Romans. Back to Romans. We spent January, the whole month of January, in Psalm 23. I hope that that was as good for your soul as it was for mine. I needed, personally, brethren, I believe we all needed to see my good shepherd rightly and to see my, the glory and the beauty of being a sheep in his fold and all that that implies. And so I, I pray and trust that Psalm 23 was good food for your soul as well as joy for your heart and mind. But as we turn back to Romans today, we're going to be returning to some familiar themes, but I hope to press them forward in some very specific applications upon us today. To that end, then, if you would stand together, we're going to read Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Hear and receive the word of the Lord in faith. Romans 4, 1 through 8. What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now unto him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Father, we thank you for this word. Take it and press it upon our hearts, we pray, by this Spirit of Christ. But we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, brethren. Well, as we have seen, or just by very quick reminder of where we've been in Romans, I remind you, Paul has told us about this gospel, uh, this gospel back in chapter 1, verse 5, and so on, this gospel of Jesus Christ, and that he was, uh, uh, he was of David and uh, Abraham according to the flesh, but the Son of God risen with power. And that this gospel is the proclamation of the kingdom of that living Christ to the, you know, all the nations of the world for the purpose, the express purpose of bringing about the obedience of faith. Romans 1.5 and Romans 16 verse 26. Both at the beginning and at the end of the epistle, Paul says the, the purpose of the gospel is the glory of God and it's to bring about the glory of God by the obedience that comes from faith. But he's also then told us that that gospel is the gospel by which the just will live by faith from beginning to end. Romans 1.17, even as is written, the just will live by faith. And he's told us then of God's wrath against unfaithfulness, of ungodliness of all men, Jew and Gentile, right? Who by nature left to themselves in their Adamic sin and curse as well as their sinfulness by inevitably go astray from birth. 
They go astray and seek idols. They go astray and walking in darkness rather than light. They are not bent towards God, towards holiness and towards godliness and faith, but bent towards ungodliness, unbelief, and they go astray. And the wrath of God upon them as they suppress that truth. And it's no different, he has told us, for the Gentiles who do it with overt idolatry, right? Worshiping the things of this world, seen and unseen, living for the things of this age. But in chapter 2, he's told us plainly, the Jews are no better. For though they had the law, and they rejoiced in that law, even boasted in that law, they have not kept it. Not truly. They may have kept it outwardly in many ways, washed the outside of the cup, but the reality is the Jews, by and large, were just as filthy on the inside in their affections, their thoughts, and their corresponding deeds as the Gentiles, but the Jews were doing it in overt hypocrisy, even while they had the law. And so he concludes chapter 3, and he's told us, Jew and Gentile alike, we see then that the, the, the net result of all that is that by the deeds of the law, the Gentiles had that law in nature, in nature and creation as well as their conscience. The Jews had it in creation and conscience and in written form, but neither had kept it. The Jew and the Gentile alike, we see then that by the deeds of the law, no flesh would be justified, can possibly be justified in his sight, because the law, in fact, brings about the knowledge of sin for Jew and Gentile, but it doesn't justify or save any because it, in fact, exposes and condemns the sin, bringing not justification but condemnation, Maybe we won't say condemnation. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law, he says, has been revealed. Even the righteousness of God witnessed by that law and so on. And he's told us then at the end of chapter 3 that this righteousness of God through faith to all and on all who believe. Praise God. I love prepositions. To all and upon all who believe, who simply trust. Because God is going to demonstrate His own righteousness to the world and that He is the just and the justifier. He is the one who rightly judges the wicked and those who refuse to repent and turn and who persist in sin. But He's also the justifier by the very blood of His own Son spilt in His righteousness so that He can justly justify the ungodly. But of course the Jews at the end of chapter 3, as we saw, this raised questions. You know, Where is boasting then? And so on. And I would argue, brethren, that is really the key to understanding chapter 4. He is is getting at this point that the Jews, the fundamental question is, where is, what's the point? And he's going to press hard upon them here, brethren, and that the point is that the only boasting that God's salvation will allow is the boasting and the glorying in Him alone. That's it. And as it ought to be. And that boasting and glorying, as we're going to see in these verses then, brethren, comes by looking away from themselves, not to themselves, not in themselves, not on their works, not on their supposed faithfulness, but looking externally. There's a quote on the front of your order of worship I want to just begin and press hard on. I chose this because I think this just hammers so well the, the point of this. And I saw that you put it up on our social media, which is great. This quote by Jim Eliff. I just want to start here because, brethren, this is the point. If you get nothing else I've said today, get this. Christians look away from themselves to Christ. 
They believe that God has loved them from eternity past. They believe that the payment of Christ on the cross for sins was for them. They find Christ irresistible and following Him the greatest privilege of all. They have faith in Christ and what He has done for them. They trust Christ, code not themselves, and looking outside of themselves to Him alone. Brethren, that's the point. Just like Abraham, as we'll see today, and just like David, brethren, for you who are in Christ, for your hope, your justification, as well as your sanctification, your glorification from beginning to end, it is going to come by you looking not at yourself, at your how well you're doing or not doing, and I might add by implication, not looking at your brethren fundamentally in terms of how well they're doing or not doing, but it's looking to Jesus. Christians are besotted with Christ, and He for them, and He is their all in all, and they walk in the full atonement of His imputed righteousness by faith apart from works. So brethren, let's just dig into this real briefly today. Number one, I want you to see this. To be justified by God, like Abraham, you must reject and repent of seeking in any way to justify yourself or be justified by before God, to justify your own mind or heart in any way by your works, of looking to your performance in any way, whether you verbalize it or not, as the basis of your acceptance before the living God. Brethren, and the point I want you to see is that's exactly what Abraham did. And that's Paul's point. I I would remind you, the Jews looked, the reason why Paul is going to start pressing into Father Abraham, Abraham had many sons. We are one of them, right? But how did people become sons and true sons of Abraham? The reason why Paul is going to press so hard on Abraham here is because the Jews, including some of these these Jews there to whom he's writing in Rome, would have said, you know, our father Abraham, surely, surely Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, he was justified by his faithfulness. I, I was reading just this week, I was, I was listening, and just here's a couple of quotes from just a couple of many, many from popular Jewish sources at the time. Here, Mishnah, this was the rabbinical writings um, around the first century, uh, turn of the uh, millennia there, time of Christ. The Mishnah wrote this about Abraham. The rabbinical rabbis wrote this. They said, we find that Abraham, our forefather, had performed the whole law before it was given. For it is written, because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So, yes, Abraham was received and accepted by God because he obeyed, because he did, he was faithful to God, and God therefore justified and put his stamp of approval. One more, the book of Jubilees wrote this, For Abraham was perfect in all of his deeds, with the Lord and was well-pleasing in righteousness all the days of his life. You see, brethren, the Apostle Paul has a vested interest in pressing the point that even Father Abraham proves the fact of the gospel of imputed righteousness apart from faithfulness. So how does he do that? He makes the point that if Abraham had been justified by his faithful works for God, number one, verse two, he would have ground to boast. 
to glorify himself in God's presence, which is impossible. Mind you, brethren, um, Abraham started, many of the Jews forgot this, but Abraham started in Ur of the Chaldees, right? If you know about Ur, Ur was a pagan, polytheistic, (laughs) demonically overrun, spiritual darkness, wicked people. And when we get to Genesis 12, we see the Lord himself going to Abraham of his own sovereign free grace and the Lord initiating with Abraham, saying, Abraham, get out from here. You go from here to a country that I will show you, right? And he makes these promises that I will bless you and I will bless those who bless you and I'll give you a nation and a people. Abraham shows his faith. God gave him faith to see. Abraham obeyed and left. And then we get to chapter 15, as we're going to see where the Lord comes to him again many years later. And he says, now, Abraham, just again, remember that I'm going to bless you and I'm going to set you up and kings and rulers are going to come from you. And your your descendants will be like the stars of the heaven and so on. And it says, Abraham believed God. And at that, it was counted to him as righteousness because he's believing God. More on that in a minute. But Abraham was an ungodly sinner. The Jews just like to focus on the part after Genesis 15 where we do see much faithfulness in Abraham. We do. We see some continued failings here and there. But we do see Abraham walking in faith. But the Jews seem to have forgotten altogether. Where was Abraham? He was a pagan. The father of the Jews was an ungodly, polytheistic pagan from Ur. And he was a sinful, ungodly man. Look at verse 5. It says that here that God justifies the ungodly. This is the point. And Abraham actually proves the point. Paul is setting Abraham before us as the paradigm of faith. But in the Bible, faith is always preceded by repentance. Abraham is actually our father. He went ahead of us not only you know, in his faith and obedience of faith, but in repentance. And in verse 5, we see that Abraham was the one trusting in God to justify the ungodly. The Bible is plain that Abraham came out of idolatry and that he was an ungodly man. The father of pilgrims was himself, as it is said, a pilgrim. Number two, if Abraham could have been theoretically justified or counted righteous by God based on his faithful works for God, then he would have had cause to boast, as I said, but not before God. The Greek word for boast here is interest in our New King James. The word boast is the word kalkima, which is also in many places translated to glory. And the point is, is that boasting and glory, to glorify something is to boastify in it. To make much of it. Right? It's the same word. And the point is, is that in God's way of salvation for ungodly men, there is no place for man to boastify or to glorify in anything in the presence of God except for God himself. And if he had been justified by his own works somehow, he would have had cause to boast, to glory in himself. But that would have been impossible 
John Stott wrote this. I think he hits it well. He says, Some may boast before their fellows, and others may entertain boastful thoughts in secret. But Paul here rejects any possibility of human beings boasting before God, either creatures before their Creator or sinners before their Savior. Whether the object of boasting is national privilege, in the case of the Jews, or their supposed personal piety and law-keeping of the moral law, doesn't make a difference. Both forms of boasting are expressions of self-righteousness, And to suppose that those who are unrighteous by nature and nurture can somehow establish their own righteousness in the court of the sovereign, altogether righteous God is to think the unthinkable and the impossible. By the works of the law, whether moral or ceremonial, no flesh will be justified in His sight. No flesh can boast or glory in His sight. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Why don't you turn there just real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul just makes this point as, as boldly as can be. Listen to what he says there in 1 Corinthians 1. I'll read you verse 26 to 29. For you see your calling, brethren, there are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble or called. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. He has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are unmighty. The base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are so that no flesh should glory, literally no flesh would boast in His sight. The Jews would not have thought of Father Abraham as the foolish things of the world, the weak, the base, things which are not. They would have said, that's not Abraham, not our father in the faith. Yes, your father in the faith. He was chosen by God. And just like Christians do, they look away from themselves to Jesus, to God as their boast, to God as their glory. And they rejoice in Him alone. And Abraham is the paradigm for that. That's Paul's point. And two, if Abraham had been justified by his faithful works for God, point B, it would have contradicted the Scriptures. Because look at verse 3 and verse 6 and 8 real quick. It just says there, Abraham believed God. It was accounted to him for righteousness. That's Genesis 15, 6. Right? There's three things to see. Number one, the ground of Abraham's righteousness was God's righteousness, not his. Look what it says. It says he believed God. He trusted God. Number one, he was looking to the Lord who had appeared to him. He looked to him as all of his righteousness. All right? He looked to Jesus. We're told later on in, in, in John 8, Jesus says, Abraham saw my day and he was glad. Right? Galatians 3 tells us that, that Abraham knew that the promise of a seed was referring to one seed, Jesus, and he looked to that seed as his redemption. That coming son and heir is going to save me. Look at the instrument of Abraham's righteousness. No. It says he believed God. The instrument was that he believed. It's his, his faith that God give. Faith in God's character. Faith in God's promises. Abraham's faith was not his faith. It wasn't faith even in his own faith. We tend to do that, don't we? So often we tend to look to try to have faith in our own faith. <laughs> you know what I mean by that? How, how is my faith? How is my faithfulness today? And can I have faith in how faithful I've been or how my level of belief? Brethren, 
Abraham wasn't looking at how good his level of faith in God was as his basis of assurance. He was looking at God's faithfulness to him. He remembered that he was in Ur. He was lost. He was dead and hopeless in Ur. And the Lord came and sought him and bought him. He believed. And then lastly, just like us, you know, Abraham, the method of Abraham's faith, as well as David's, he says here in verse 6 through 8, was this accounting You'll notice in this passage, you may not know it, but in this passage, these first eight verses, five times this Greek word for that we see accounted or counting or imputed, same Greek word. I'll give them my. This is really important. This is so, so important. The idea of this is to credit somebody's account, to reckon it to their account. In a financial context, it means to write down something to somebody's account. In a legal setting, it means to uh, account somebody as either guilt or innocent and then to deal with them accordingly. But the point is, is that he says here unequivocally, Abraham believed in God, he trusted God, he had faith in God's character and promises and therefore looking to God outside of himself is his justification and righteousness. God accredited, he imputed it to Abraham and wrote it down to him as that point of believing, that point of looking to God is in faith. God says at that point, he accounted it to him as all of his righteousness. And that's irrespective of any faithfulness that may have come in Abraham's life later. He was justified definitively by faith at that time. Brethren, is it not so with us? Is it not so with us? You and I as well. We, we so tend, you know, even, we, even we who love to quote the Westminster Confession on faith, and we say, yes, we have got our catechism, we know what faith is, we are justified, imputed righteousness. Brethren, do we not so often tend to find ourselves looking to our faithfulness as the basis for our, uh, to assuage our conscience or for our basis of assurance before the Lord? How have I done today? Or looking at other brethren and saying, how have they done today? <laughs> Brethren, the implication of justification by faith and Peter righteousness is that we are so besotted, and again, we look outside of ourselves to Jesus so that we are not fundamentally looking to justify ourselves to ourselves, not looking to justify ourselves before other men, and certainly not looking to justify ourselves before God because we are looking to Jesus who has justified us. You see what happens, brethren, justification by grace through faith alone, imputed righteousness to the ungodly, what it does is it sets us free from bondage to seeking to justify ourselves in any other way. It sets you free to just rejoice in and walk in the light and the love of the living God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. It sets you free to know that you are already accepted fully and completely in Jesus Christ. Jesus paid it all, right? And you say, amen, Brother Steve, Jesus paid it all. Tomorrow, Tuesday, I want you to live like you believe Jesus actually already paid it all. When you step into sin and you fall into that again, you think, oh, thank God Jesus paid it all for me. I am not condemned today. There is no condemnation for me in Christ Jesus today. And therefore, there will be no condemnation for me, not only from Him, but I am not going to look at you and say, boy, you're struggling. There not be condemnation for me your way either because Jesus paid for you too. 
paid it for me. He paid it for you. And you receive it and I receive it by grace, sovereign, seeking, free grace apart from works, imputed and accounted to the ungodly, to sinners. I'm going to live and die by that today and I'm going to live and die by that tomorrow and next week and next year for the rest of my life. When I get to the last day of my life and when the Lord, I'm about to see the Lord, I pray that it would be true of me as well as for you that you will not say, be in any way thinking on your deathbed, oh, I'm about to enter into glory and looking to your works. Is, am, I, am I going to tremble in fear? Have I done well enough? I want you, brethren, on your last dying breath to say Jesus paid it all. I'm about to enter into glory because Jesus paid for me by faith, imputed righteousness, an alien righteousness, not my own, outside of me. The debt has been paid. Notice what he says here. Verse 4, this is so critical. He says, if you insist, if you want to do like the Jews would say, you want to insist somehow upon seeking to justify yourself in any way by looking to your performance, to your works, to privilege or to your piety, to him who does not, but to, verse 4, to him who works, the wages are not going to be counted as grace, but as debt. Let that sink into your heads, brethren. If you insist upon looking to your works in any way as your righteousness, the works is you will fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin. You want wages? The wages of sin, the debt that you will still owe, infinite debt, will be death. And it will be damnation. But the gift of God, free gift, you don't pay for it, you don't earn it, you don't merit it. The free gift of God to ungodly sinners in Christ Jesus is eternal life, Romans 6.23. Brethren, Free, unmerited, apart from works to ungodly sinners. That's how you and I are going to stand before the living God. That's how we stand before the world in, in Christ. So here's the last thing, and I'll close with this. Then here's the point, point two, and I'll be real quick. Just to be justified by God then, brethren, like Abraham and like David, as he's quoted here from Psalm 32 and verses 6 through 8, you must receive and rejoice and the righteousness that God freely, apart from works, freely accounts to ungodly sinners like you and me by grace through faith alone. Resting all of your righteousness on Him just like Father Abraham did. I say to you, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them. And if I was to answer, saying, how, how are you one of them? How do you know that you're one of them? I pray that the answer will be from each one of you. Because just like Father Abraham, I believe and put my hope in God who justifies the ungodly. And it has been imputed and accounted to me as righteousness in Christ. That's how I'm a father, a son or daughter of Father Abraham. Because I'm like Abraham and that I look to God as all my righteousness. The justifier of the ungodly. Not to my performance. My lawless deeds, as he says, there have been forgiven. My sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus. They've been, we 
saw earlier from Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, I am blessed. I am, verse 8, I am a blessed man or woman because the Lord has not imputed to me my sins, but he has laid them all on Jesus, and he has imputed to me his righteousness, and I stand in that. So I'm going to conclude then by turning you again to the other quote on the front of your order of worship. Sometimes you find just two choice quotes that just hit things really well. I began with the one from Jim Elif. I would like to conclude then with the one from Doug Wilson. I know we were a lot of Wilsonites here, so I can bring Doug in. He's good. Brethren, let this get into your head. Grace and works do not mix, and this is good news. Works are connected to things that men like you and me would love to have, but which they cannot have. Men outside of Christ would love to boast, but they cannot boast before God. They would love to receive a reward in the judgment, a reward through which God pays them what He owes them as a matter of debt. Men love the idea of being a standard of righteousness unto themselves. This is why they loathe by nature, they loathe and despise every form of, and he says, free and sovereign. I will tell you, brethren, we here in our church, we would say every form of sovereign grace, and I know I could get an amen on that. But brethren, do you love God's free grace to ungodly people? Or are we more like the older brother and the prodigal son who sees that prodigal coming back, and we tend to intuitively say, but look, I've, I've done so much better. I earned more. I deserve more. Why are you? Brethren, do we have the heart of God that loves, loves the fact that God justifies ungodly people and makes them and counts them righteous, and then he goes on and makes them righteous, but he counts them righteous even before they're righteous. And he counts them righteous despite even continued failings and many unrighteousnesses they do. Do you love that God? Or does that make you go, Ugh. Brethren, I want us to be like our Father. As he concludes, every free and sovereign grace, free and sovereign grace repulses every form of salvation by works, striving, by earning moralistic, tiptoeing, meriting, goody-two-shoeing, shucking or jiving. Couldn't have said it better myself. Brethren, here's the point. Then take this with you this week. I want you to go forth today, and I want you to say, I will stand this week in the grace of Christ, and I will stand by faith. Jesus is all my righteousness. So tomorrow, don't be looking to yourself and your performances as how you assuage your conscience before God look to Jesus and don't look at your brethren and say how are they performing look to Jesus for them as all their righteousness love them and receive them in the Lord even as Jesus has received them brethren I want us to be a community of people far from being legalists we are a people who are so besotted with Jesus and besotted with free sovereign grace that we just don't have time to look down on ourselves or look down on others. We can be kind to ourselves in Christ because God has been infinitely kind to us in Christ. Let us pray. Father, I will acknowledge 
that I, I still struggle with my own tendency towards a self-righteousness of comforting my conscience by looking to my performance, by looking to how well I have done or often even condemning myself how well how poorly I have done and the sin I've struggled with again instead of looking outward to Jesus alone for me as well as for my brethren. Father, I say I pray for me and for my brethren that we will be a people who live and die and who live in fellowship with the saints all on the basis of justification and righteousness that is imputed apart from works to ungodly sinners that Christ will be all our righteousness and all of our boast and all of our doings and our workings Father free us I pray by your spirit of Christ in us free us from the scourge and the bondage of looking to ourselves in any way in our performance but give us the liberty and set us at liberty to look to Jesus when we sin, to look to Him and say, Jesus paid it all. Thank you, Jesus. And when we have done well and we have walked in obedient faith to say, thank God for Jesus in me because it's Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus in me that is working in me to will and to do according to Him. It's Jesus from beginning to end. So, Lord, make us that kind of people, we pray. For we ask these in Jesus' name. Amen.